York State Department of Transportation presents the DOT POD. And welcome in to the DOT POD. I am Josh Heller on location and pleased to be joined by my co-host for today, the Community Liaison and I-81 Viaduct Project Assistant for the New York State Department of Transportation, Tanisha Murphy. Tanisha, thanks for sitting with us today. Josh, so glad to join you today and be your co-host on the DOT POD. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. And so we have a very interesting one today. So currently we're sitting in the Tucker Missionary Baptist Church, which is the community kind of center for uh, you know people to come and and talk about the program and and talk about the project uh, which will be taking place literally a stone's throw from where we are you step out of this building you can see the viaduct and what we're going to talk about today in regards to the project is who is going to be working on that project who is currently already working on that project and will continue to be for for years and years to come that's right yes uh, there was uh, a very um, unprecedented, actually, a program um, that is part of the project, the Local Hire Initiative, uh, that was mainly driven by the community um, who wanted to have this initiative on the project. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today uh, in regards to the I-81 Biodoc Project. And joining us uh, the, today on the podcast are uh, our NISDOT colleague, Scott Butler, who is the special assistant for the I-81 Biodoc Project, and Decca Danzel, who is the president of the Urban Jobs Task Force, who was very instrumental in the in implementing the local hire initiative uh, for the ID One Viaduct Project. Thank you both for joining yeah, us. Thanks so much. Thanks, uh, Scott. Tell us a little bit about yourself and give us a give us a history of who you are. Uh, well, I'm a local resident. I've lived here my entire life for the last forty three years. Um, I started my career in television. Then I made my way into what I'll call politics and state legislature, and then uh, found my way on the DOT's uh, payroll working on the 81 project. So been a part of the project since 19 and kind of through the NEPA process and all that other stuff. So, And, uh, and, and Decca, how about you? Tell us a little bit about your background. Um, yeah, so uh, just like Scott, I'm a Syracuse resident. I was born and raised here, um, so it's a very special place to me. It's a place I call home. Um, I'm a mom of two. I'm the president of Urban Jobs Task Force, uh, and we're a local economic justice coalition. And really, we exist primarily um, to increase equitable access to employment and other economic opportunities for Syracuse residents. So well, let's just get it. Let's just get right into it, Decca, because uh, there is a local hire initiative on this project. Nowhere ever in the state have any of the construction projects with the DOT have had a local hire initiative. Why was it important for Urban Jobs Task Force to make sure that occurred on the ID1 project? Okay. Um, so I think the story actually even starts like a little bit further back um, than 81. So I want to bring you all back to I think it was 2016, maybe 2016 or 2014, but I believe it was 2016. Um, Urban Jobs Task Force went to DOT. This was when you were doing I-690 uh, till exchange project. And we were like, we want a SEP 14 pilot application put in for this project. Um, 
and deal and what the SEP 14 pilot project is, is it allows for a workaround for local hiring provisions on federally funded infrastructure projects. So at the time, this was not allowed without that special pilot being approved by the Fed. So we asked for that. DOT said, you know, we're actually too late for the SEP 14 pilot process, but ID1 is going to be coming and we will commit to doing a SEP 14 pilot program application for 81. So we're like, all right, great. Fast forward a couple of years, they're now starting to conceptualize 81. Um, and DOT did fulfill their promise. They submitted a SEP 14 pilot application uh, for the 81 project, but it was premature. And so then the Fed said, you didn't even get to your option yet. You didn't even do like the community, you know, outreach and, and comments and all that. So you're too early, which was actually a beneficial thing because it allowed for the community to come together and work in partnership with DOT and other stakeholders to kind of create what we have here. So to answer now to answer Tanisha's question, um, as I said, Urban Jobs Task Force, we're a local 501c3, we're committed to economic justice, right? So we're really concerned about the high level of poverty here in Syracuse, especially for our black and brown residents. Like when, if you wanna think about why we exist, it's to serve those individuals. So we said, Syracuse is one of the poorest cities in the nation, right? We have all these people who do not have access to opportunities and you're gonna bring a $2 billion public investment here, meaning everybody's tax tax dollars has contributed to this. So we're saying if there's this level of public investment coming to the city of Syracuse, we think that ought to be used to address this issue of poverty that we have. And there's been a bunch of, right, there's a bunch of capital projects, real estate projects that happen all the time, but this was not going to be dozens. It wasn't going to be hundreds. It was going to be thousands of good paying jobs coming here to the city of Syracuse. So we said that needs that needs to be used as a vehicle to address that poverty. Point blank period, the community wants opportunity. Now things were a lot different way back, I'm talking you know, 2017, 2018, than they are now in terms of the workforce, um, but that was really important. What we found from that research was that over 80% of workers working on publicly funded projects happening in the city of Syracuse were white males and over 90% of them did not live in the city of Syracuse. So now this is really confirmed and this is backed by data. So we could go to the DOT, to the mayor, to all the other stakeholders and say, yeah, that's great. Everybody's saying that they're in and they want to do this. We're here to tell you that's going to take a lot of work, right, to get there. Um, and we're happy to partner with you to do that. So that's why this was so important and kind of like the story of the, the beginning of the journey. Sorry, that was long-winded, but no, no, it's great. And so, and so, Scott, you know, she just described what they came to the state and to the federal government with, to uh, and said these are basically our demands. You know, what was the response from from the government? Whenever we do anything at the department, there's a lot of justifications for what we do, and a goal like local hire takes a lot of justification. You have to show a, it's based on geographics, obviously. It's also based on economics. So you have to show disadvantaged areas. But then when you get tacit approval through a bill, you kind of take it and run with it. So when she talks about SEP 14, it's like it was there, it wasn't there, then it was back. And we spent eight months, I think, preparing our application with UJTF, with the city of Syracuse and our construction team to kind of say, okay, how does this work? Right. Like, how can we make this work and justify to the federal government that we need something like this? So there's that part of it that gets, you know, that takes a lot. So, you know, 
jobs, employment opportunity. That was one of the top comments we got throughout the EIS process. So we knew as a, as a team for the 81 project, the federal government, we knew we had to do something. You know, when SEP 14 comes back, it allows us an avenue to do that. Infrastructure law allows us an avenue to do that. And then it was just hammering out the details and seeing what could fit within the structure the department has for procurement and just making sure that it wasn't something that was going to be disadvantaged to our contractors, but also not give one contractor an advantage over another. You know, we have to play these rules. So we have to figure that out while we go along. So. You know, you mentioned uh, the disparity, especially when it comes to, to these types of jobs. And, you know, someone just can't wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm going to work on a massive construction project. You need training for that. Obviously, that kind of training not only is going to help them get these jobs, but potentially continue on once this project is a large project, but it's not going to last forever. So you want to make sure that, you know, you're able to to continue on and uh, and continue that employment. How, you know, have you guys been able to position it so that there is that kind of training mechanism in there so that these people are not only ready for this project, but for whatever comes, you know, moving forward? So when, when I got involved with the department and was more or less assigned this task. The idea was what you just said. It was to have both avenues available because, you know, heavy highway construction is not easy. It's very hard. You're out in the elements, you know, today it's snowing in Syracuse, right? So you, you might be out in the middle of that. So it's not easy. So to your point about training, we kind of did a tool track. Like we knew we wanted this provision within our contracts, but we also wanted to make sure that the contractors had a proper base, <clears throat> a proper, you know, workforce to, to pull from. So we went out and got a grant before we even started the SEP 14 process. We got a grant from the federal government to basically we're trained. We have two separate training programs here in the city of Syracuse that are for local residents. One is uh, through the department, a department based program called WorkSmart New York that we have at our SUNY EOC here. And then the other is with our partner Syracuse Build and Center and CNY Works, where that one's called Pathways to Apprenticeship. So, you know, Deca mentioned the PLA. So we have a PLA on this project. So most of the employees are going to be from one of the local union halls. So, you know, the local union stepped up to the plate and created this program, Pathways to Apprenticeship, to help folks that are not making their way into the trades, you know, because apprenticeships are tough to get into. It's a test. It's a lot of different things. So we create, we kind of partnered with all them. You know, we got some money from the feds to make sure that we were pumping out people and giving people opportunity to be trained in the in the field they want. So it was a dual track, I think, for the department that we just knew you can't just wake up one day and say, I want to build a road. That's not how it works. So so we did both. Yeah. But to but to take it back a little bit, Deca, to even get to that point where they where, you know, we are creating programs to help train people so that they can have these jobs uh, for a lifetime and turn them into careers and possibly even business owners of some of these um, construction um, some from some of the things that they learn in the construction trades. How talk about how. Um, I guess what one of your biggest challenges was going through the process to make sure that this project had a local hire provision on it. So I think the major challenge for us was getting the buy-in from literally everybody and creating the ecosystem that 
exist so that this local hire initiative can be successful. So there were so many things that we did once. Uh, Scott and I talked about the SEP 14 process, how it was there and then it wasn't there. When it wasn't there, we were a part of a national coalition spearheaded by an organization called Jobs to Move America. We did like a, a big um, national press conference. It was virtual, it had like 24 cities on it. It was like all kind of mayors. Our mayor was on there, um, Chicago mayor was on there calling for the reinstatement of SEP 14, but even further than that, an outright removal of the local hire ban on federal infrastructure projects. That national campaign was successful. So it, it took things like partnering up with organizations at the statewide and nationwide level to affect or influence policy change that would help us to do this at the localized level. So that was like one thing. Um, obviously, like, I think like a lot of the like rebuttal, like having to be calm and rebut in the stakeholder meetings, right? So, you know, we're hearing things like, you know, well, do they even want these jobs? Um, can they, you know, can they pass a math test? And are you trying to get us to cut corners on, on training? Because heavy highways is a lot of the training. What do you mean you want locals? And we're like, no, we're not asking you to do that at all. We're asking for everything that's going to take for us to achieve this, which would include training. Um, so the Syracuse Build Program, uh, it was created by center state CEO. So I remember the mayor, he was under a bridge and he was like, you know, 81's coming, you know, we're gonna have jobs. And we were kind of like, okay, Ben, but people are not trained. So if they're gonna actually get those jobs, we have to have a training program. He's like, you know, you're right. So everybody was all, it's cool. So the city of Syracuse and center state were largely kind of the, um, I think, main conceptualizers of Syracuse build from the start. But that's largely a result of our advocacy pushing, saying that we can't just implement this goal. If we don't also implement the training, then it's not going to get there. Sorry. Um, so we work with center state. We were a part of their research development. We actually wrote uh, uh co-authored the playbook for Syracuse Build. We want something, like, like we need something better. We need the trades to be involved. This needs to be paid. You can't expect somebody living in poverty to work two and three jobs to complete a train. Like, there are all of these barriers that we have some power to affect. So Syracuse Build is this great, highly successful program. Um, and DOT, I think, has done a great job of convening everybody under not just WorkSmart, but Syracuse Build, but as well as community partners so that we're all kind of, you know, together, we're problem, I don't know, we're, we're troubleshooting. Yeah. Um, and I think the other big thing um, that just took a lot, but was fun and not hard, probably the most rewarding part of it all, was the community organizing and advocacy. So going, literally, we set up in front of corner stores. We tabled in front of corner stores. We showed up to basketball tournaments. We put advertisements on Central Bus billboards. We was on a radio. We put them on Lamar billboards across um, this city. We did online social media pushes. Um, we we partnered with like Nightclub Legal Services, Family for Left for Now. We did whole marches, press rallies, countless advocacy letters. We also took that racial equity impact statement and we went around to every single elected official that had constituents in the city of Syracuse to explain them the problem. But I think that those were really like some of the, some of the main 
the main things. So I, I guess I'll, I'll pose this to, to both of you because it's kind of a different perspective for, for each of you. But, you know, where do you see that? You know, wh- where are you now with the project already, you know, ongoing as far as where you want to end up? And, you know, moving forward as the project continues along, you know, what do you see your roles as as far as making sure that, you know, it's not all talk, that it's actually happening, you know, uh, at the rate that you want it to? Um. So I, I I would love to hear what Scott's thought is, but also on, on that last part, I think a really important key piece to share about the journey that I forgot is another thing that we did during this process that we actually thought was going to be hard, but was not. Um, so again, we, we went around to all the elected officials, all the stakeholders, we tell them about the problem, we're getting their buy-in. And then we go to um, our mayor and we say, all right, mayor, we've done we've done all the legwork for you. We've went, we've told everybody, we've done the research, we've laid out the problem. They're down for it. They don't see how it can happen, but they're down. So what we need you to do, we also did research on like, how did other people pull this off? Like um, San Francisco, City Build, like, the, you know, Cleveland Project, LA Metro. So we were did a lot of research, did a lot of case studies. So we're like, we think what needs to happen is you use your power as mayor to call together all of these stakeholders so we can start talking about how we're going to achieve this goal of maximizing local hire on 81. And I, I'm, maybe I'm wrong, Scott, but I don't know if you agree, but like I feel like that was the tipping point. Then the mayor calls everybody, and he just did it. There was no argument. I want to give Ben Walsh, he did not. There was no, he didn't even ask a question. He was like, yeah, that sounds like, that makes sense. I'll do that. I'm like, oh, wonderful. I thought I was going to have to, you know what I mean? I thought I was going to have to pin you down to get you to do this. Um, you know, you had he had FHWA, um, DOT, DOL, a bunch of community partners, workforce development, trades, city government, county government, a bunch of our um, electeds and just had the whole thing going. So in terms of where we are right now, and I think the other part of your question was what else we need to do to make sure that we were keeping on track to our end goal. Yeah. I'll let Scott share the exact numbers, but I'll just share from the community perspective. We are very, um, we're very proud. Um, we're like, we want to jump for joy, but then again, we're a little scared to do it because these first numbers like came out and I, like I said, Scott has the exact numbers, but one, the second contract is exceeding the goal. The first contract is very close to the goal. When you look at the data that we have from the REIS, the numbers are, it's blowing it out the water. It's mm-hmm. not even close comparison. Um, and I think that that's a testament to all the work of everybody that's been involved, which is great. Um, are, are we a little bit nervous that as the project goes on and there are more people working at a time um, if we'll be able to maintain that. Um, I think, yeah, but I think we just, uh, we need to keep pushing. Yeah. For there. So numbers directly, contract one hovers around 12 to 13%. And the goal is 15%. Uh, contract two hovers anywhere from 15 to 16, sometimes all the way up to 18, depending on, on when you look at it. I think, Decca, I feel like I'm in the same boat as Decca is of like, you want to jump for joy because we accomplished the first part of a goal. We got it in a contract. We got it in a PLA. We got it in these different places. People are going to our trainings, all this other stuff. But it's when you get to contract three, four, and five. I mean, this, you know, this is over a billion dollars worth of work in phase one. That's a lot of work hours. Can a city the size of Syracuse, you know, Decca mentioned some of these other cities. These are major metropolitan cities. Syracuse is a smaller, medium-sized city. So can Syracuse maintain 
the momentum we have in these first two contracts. I'm optimistic we can. I'm going to, you know, for the DOT side of this, you know, we put an incentive in it so people get hired. We we did all these things, but we also are pushing our partners, DOL, to make sure that we're doing stuff, Syracuse Build and SUNY EOC with our trainings, making sure there's enough available for people to be able to, to get where they want to go if they raise their hand and they say, this is what I want to do. And I think people are now, people are understanding it's real. Because I think that's one of the misnomers of this project since the get-go is no one's going to believe it's real until they see it. Um, and so maybe in the city of Syracuse, they didn't believe it because we were up in the northern part. But now that we're down in Bright Nav and in by Loretto, all right, maybe maybe this is real. And I think they're getting that word of mouth, you know, the neighborhood telling them, like, this is a good idea. This is what we want to achieve. So I think it, things are positive. But I'm like Deca. I'm I'm not ready to jump for joy. I'm you know I we got a ways to go. You know we got a ways to go on the construction side of things. So it, you know it's nice to be out the gate early. You know Robert Short, our compliance officer, always said with any of our goals, if you're not doing it early, you're never going to do it. So the good news is is we're doing it early, and hopefully we can maintain that, and our contractors can maintain that. But the department, you know, we have partners like Deca and, and UJTF who are pushing people to go and you know use this as a chance to, you know, get out of a situation that they may be in. And and this is a clear cut chance you can do that, you know, because of the training and because of the opportunity that you have. You know, you, you mentioned, Deca, that you looked at other cities that have done this, San Francisco, LA. Do you think that, you know, especially with the size of this project in New York, do you think that this project, and again, it's early, but the success so far that it's had, do you think that this could be used as a as a model? This could be used as you know uh, uh, as something for other uh, other cities, other projects, other states, other departments to to look at for ways to actually not just talk the talk, but do it. I think I think one thousand percent. This is a perfect example of it because we're a small enough community that I think we were able to pull it off in terms of like bringing everybody together. Um, I know also, too, that the Federal Highway Administration created a roadmap kind of telling the story of, of what we've done here. I know um, like Syracuse Build has been invited a couple of places across the country. DOT has been invited places across the country to talk about what we've done here. Um, so I, I think this would be a great example. And some of the other examples that we looked at, they were like, for example, the I-70 project. That was because they they had to be sued, right? So that's not like a good right. comparison um, there. Or We some, did this willingly. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Or there were like some that were like um, um, mandates versus like this, this program is an incentive where the developers get an incentive for doing it. And I think what was dope about this incentive for DOT, and this was actually like their whole own idea. So we knew that these incentives were happening we we're kind of going back and forth for the step 14 process and they're like how about if we incentivize you know the contractors greater if they're going to be so like if you hire a local at all you get this certain amount back per per hour but then if you hire a local that has a barrier to employment so like you're a resident out of Dagonation, um you're like on some form of welfare, like those kind of things are, are what uh, were included as the barriers, then they get an additional incentive. So this is like a further way of like really targeting the people that we want to reach, the people who need these opportunities the most. That was the fun part, because then you could, you know, because you said it better than I'll ever say it, but like 
you know, we didn't ever, the department never looks at it as an anti-poverty program or getting people out of poverty, but like right. I live here. So I care about that. So I think the incentive and looking at ways to go at, you know, barriers to employment, you know, when we were doing the step four application, we're hearing all of these barriers of why these things don't work. Why, you know, people in these hard, hard areas can't find this and can't find that. And I think we came at it in a collective way of like, all right, well, we're just going to fix that. I mean, I hate to be that way and make it sound simple, but you know, DOT fixes stuff. So it makes it seem easier, but that's where we were at. All right. We got to train, you know, people are struggling because transportation's hard for them. All right. Well, we'll figure that out. Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, uh, a program with center state CEO where they're helping people either clean up their license or mm -hmm. get cleaned up their credit so they can own a car or pay for repairs to their car so they can find their way to work. You know, childcare comes up. Well, all right, let's pull all together. Let's figure out how we can help with subsidies for childcare. So we got Onondaga County helping us with that. You know, all these different things. So like that was as a personal side, you know, I don't know. I don't know if my partners at the DOT who worked with me thought it was fun, but I think that was when you started to dive into like a program that can work and can be seen as like a model. Mm -hmm. for the country where it's not just a, you know, a lot of times we just throw specs on something and expect them to work. This was us putting our, our meat and potatoes in, in the pot and saying, all right, we're going to help this ecosystem work. So that way people are not just getting a job because I think it's more than a job. It's a career mm -hmm. working in construction is a career. Now, yeah, you bounce around and you do different things, but the city of Syracuse in this region is about to see some of the biggest construction years it's ever had. Mm -hmm. And so now what 81 is doing, what the department's doing is we're kind of like becoming this major training ground for projects in the future. And then the other part of it selfishly is because this is the type of project it is, the size and everything like that, people are going to get skills that they could not get on other projects. Yep. You know, some of the things we're going to do, uh, not only speed wise, but like equipment we'll be using different ways to build things more efficiently and easier. Like those are the other parts where people are going to start a career with this project that they're going to get skills they could have probably never gotten in 30, 40 years that mm -hmm. they're going to get because they're working on this project. So I think that's the selfish part, maybe for someone who works at the department is like getting to work on that stuff. That's not stuff we get to work on all the time, I would mm -hmm. say. So it's like very, it was very cool, I mm -hmm. think. I mean, not to take it away from anything, but, and I've just, I've enjoyed the work, but it's also, you don't want to pat yourself on the back because I'm, I'm competitive in nature. <laughs> I'm competitive in nature. So you want to be better than 15. You want to be 16, 17, 18, especially the contracts that are in the zip codes. That's yeah. where I want to be like, I, you know, pushing the contractors to be better at it too, you know, and we're building a workforce, you know. One of the things we know about heavy highway construction is the workforce is, is retiring, it's leaving, it's not sticking around. So we knew we have to fill those holes. We hear that from our contractors all the time. So we're also doing our best to start filling those holes in a very incentive-based way with just a simple local hiring preference that is the way to look at it. And like, we had no idea when this was happening. Like, we didn't know like a Micron was gonna come right. and it's gonna like spur all this other development. So now we're kind of like, ahead of the game ahead on the, the training game. side. Yeah, 100%. And I just want to touch on too something that Scott said, like there's so much that went in into this. So like, yeah, we can be a model, but people should probably consult with us. I mean, this went deep. He's talking about, you know, people getting help with childcare and licenses. 
and I would even take it a step further, like Syracuse Bill being completely run by credible messengers and having people do a form of case management mm-hmm. to keep mm-hmm. people in, in that program and have success. For them to have, for them to be a contract for Volunteer Lawyers Project to support Syracuse Bill participants with legal fees around child support. So get to, I mean, like, thought very, this is the kind of deep and intentional, right, piece by piece attention to detail and things that you have to think about if you're going to pull something like this off. And I think the biggest thing um, is diplomacy Mm. and partnership and collaboration amongst the stakeholders. So as us as the person, the group that's kind of pushing this forward, you can imagine that there were many of times where people said things that make me want to flip the table, (laughs) quite frankly, and not do this anymore. But I, I think like what's been unique about this process is the partnership the whole time. So I think that was the big, that was the big piece is the community government slash stakeholder partnership at every step and every turn of the way. Everybody's in communication with each other. If there's a problem, um, we work on it. And even when we don't agree, we're all committed to coming back to the table because we're we're committed to the the goal of getting locals on this project. Uh, This was a fabulous conversation. You guys have done some amazing work, especially uh, for the city of Syracuse and the residents that live in the city. So thank you for your work and everything that you've done. And Josh, it was great working with you. Oh, it was a pleasure, Tanisha. And we will be having Tanisha back on talking about 81 throughout the project. So we will be here in Syracuse on location talking about uh, talking about the project as it continues to mature and uh, and continues to move along. So uh, to, to echo Tanisha's comments, thank you both for, for, for taking some time and sitting down. And again, for all the work you've done thus far and, and for the work I know that you will continue to be doing throughout the uh, remainder of this uh, of this program. But Tanisha, until we talk to you again, thanks so much for sitting in. It's been a blast. I had a great time. Thank you, Josh. Absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you all for tuning in this week right here on the DOT POD. POD.